Welcome, everyone, to Politics Express, the Postwriters Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Postwriters Politics Editor, Lars Emerson. This week, we are all about the 2024 Republican Veep Stakes. That is, the vice presidential running mates for the budding 2024 Republican presidential ticket. With me this week is our editor-in-chief and my co-host of the Running Mates podcast. There's a throwback for you, Michael Levito. Hi, Mike. Hi, how's it going? Uh, it's it's going great. I'm having just a great day all around. It is, uh, it's good to be back in the Running Mates adjacent world with you. Um, you know, like that was something we did. Yeah, we did it for a while. It was a lot of episodes. Yeah, it was a lot of episodes. Do you think it's safe to say that we are like some of the preeminent vice presidency experts in the world? <laughs> um we're definitely well, like, in we got to be up there i, right? I think we are certainly with, with the, the post-war at least post-war vice presidents <laughs> um yeah i think we definitely at very least we think about it a lot more than than other people seem to yeah and that's kind of what this episode's all about so we're going to handle our episode this week in two parts the first is focused on our newly published 2024 republican vice presidential power index you can find that on our website. It's prominently featured if you go there right now. Uh, this is the tool that I built out over the summer and went live this week, uh, which was built out on our 2020 model of this tool for the Democratic presidential nomination and their vice presidential picks. This year, I adjusted it for the Republican field and their best VP choices. And then in the back half of this episode, we'll apply our years of encyclopedic vice presidential knowledge and our honed vice presidential analysis. And we'll talk about the names floating around the zeitgeist of the vice presidential horse race in a bit more of a qualitative way. Are you excited for that, Mike? Of course. All right, let's dive in. So I wanted to start this episode by talking through our tool a little bit. And since I built out the index itself, and it'll just be more engaging this way, I'm actually going to pass the hosting reins over to Michael here so he can interview me about the index. Here's the metaphorical torch, Mike. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Listeners can't see, but I reached out my hand off camera and pulled it back <laughs> in front of me. Um, I mean, the first question is, who came up with this incredible name, the Vice Presidential Power Index? Okay, so <laughs> as Mike's alluding, I didn't love the original name it had four years ago. It was the Vice Presidential Tracker. Tracker, like, it never made sense because it wasn't actually tracking. Yeah, it just made it sound like we were, like, following around. Mike Pence at the time, which now that yeah. I think about it, it's a good thing that we changed the name given. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is literally a power index. Mm -hmm. So might, might get some credit for the name there. That was a good call. But I, I realized something was wrong. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, someone had a steam valve. What was that noise? Um, this podcast brought to you by SodaStream. <laughs> we have a SodaStream? I do now. And it's a convenient price <laughs> with bubbles. Bubble your life. Save tons of money. Cool. So, but, but, but a little more seriously, what, what is the history of the power index slash tracker? Give me, give me, give me some background on it. Sure. So, so like I said, so four years ago, you and I, we still hadn't like running mates wasn't like a thing yet, but we were thinking about it. Like it was starting to be a thing. We wanted to be like VP guys. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I don't like really know where that came from. You might know or remember. I don't. 
for some reason we just like both really like talking about vice presidential candidates and we lived together um it just kind of like i don't know it kind of came up in conversation um but at about the turn of the year as 2019 entered the gorgeous and beautiful year of 2020 uh, i started working on this more extensive mathematical function for lack of a better word that would actively start applying some of the data that i'd been collecting on vice presidential candidates uh in the post-war era um and basically by taking data about years served in federal government state level experience things like a candidate's race and gender region of the country they're from and all that sort of stuff uh we were able able to build out kind of a a strong model uh by the time the democratic primary was in full swing so in 2020 uh like a week before the iowa caucuses which went really well uh i published the 2020 vice presidential tracker which basically ran all of the democratic uh candidates for president through the function generated the best running mates for each of those candidates um and uh yeah the field was kind of all over the place then and then as the primary progressed it became clear that biden would be the nominee we put out a number of pieces just kind of talking about it why the function was suggesting certain running mates for Biden very heavily. So we spilled a lot of ink talking about people like Nevada Senator Catherine Cortez Masto, uh, Illinois Senator Timmy Duckworth, uh, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, and of course, then California Senator Kamala Harris. Um, you know, I, I think we kind of unintentionally got a little too much credit because people thought it was like a predictive thing. And we were just suggesting that Kamala Harris was the strongest possible running mate for Biden. And he, uh, he very clearly used uh, the tracker and took our advice. Yeah. So uh, I, I, the, the next question you so humbly suggested, which reads, despite hitting the nail on the head in 2020. Um, no, but you, you made the point earlier that uh, this is not like a predictive model. So what, what exactly is it then? Yeah, it's not predictive at all. Uh, so we like weirdly enough did have like a predictive feature on the side of the 2020 model because we were running the entire thing through 538s odds of someone being the Democratic nominee, but we'll ignore that. Um, basically, the model just suggests who would be like the best choice. And Biden made a very smart choice by picking Harris. We talked at length about that in our uh, running mates kind of special episode leading up to the 2020 election. Um, Biden could have made a very bad choice. Um, there have been bad <laughs> running mate choices made before. Um, and he also could have made like an almost as good choice too. He could have picked Gretchen Whitmer. He could have picked uh, Catherine Cortez Masto. Uh, you know, that said, I think there are a lot of very smart people who work in the in the Beltway type of analysis that we were doing. It's just I wanted, I, I feel like the whole conversation about like, who will they pick as VP is all very like qualitative. It's like, oh, does Biden mesh with this person? A lot of people talked about how like Bo Biden and Kamala Harris kind of had a relationship because they were both attorneys general, you know, separated by like 2,500 miles, but like at the same time, um and biden kind of like leaned into her like for personality reasons uh but i don't know i my instinct was just to want to put some quantitative data on the bottom of that kind of deeply personal assessment you know there have been enough vice presidents picked over time that we had enough data on it um yeah i don't know but what matters to a nominee is different a nominee is free to make a, a bad choice yeah it definitely feels like i would say and you can correct me if, if you think I'm wrong, but like a way to kind of quantify what we were talking about during the Running Mates podcast. Um, yeah, the we set some more rules in the Running Mates podcast mm -hmm. than this has. Like we didn't let ourselves pick people who explicitly said, I never want to be vice president. Mm -hmm. um, whereas this, 
will let you include people. And I'm sure we'll talk about this. Like there are a lot of people who probably don't want to be Trump's running mate or who Trump would never pick as his running mate. But we have included them because like, that's a bummer. They could be really good together. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's a <laughs> bummer is an interesting turn of phrase for, uh, for that, but um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so what, what are the things that are different from the 2020 version of the tra- what was then called the tracker to what is now more robustly referred to as the power index? <laughs> the, the, the 2024 Republican vice presidential Michael Levito power. Index, right. yes. <laughs> um, so there are really like two forms of changes. There's the underlying changes to the core function itself. These are pretty minimal. Uh, we have one more cycle of data. We have we know the choices and results of the 2020 election. So we know how states have shifted in partisan lean. We know that Kamala Harris ended up being picked. Um, so there was like a bit of like touching up. That doesn't change a lot. Um, and then there's the partisan changes. And these are things that I change just because this is a Republican model and not a Democratic model. Um, so like racial consideration is a bit less just because the... The model is built with an eye on the like general election, but the fact of the matter is like racial diversity is less of a thing in the Republican Party, um, and that means that other things kind of need to balance out more. So experience matters a bit more, competitiveness matters a bit more. Um, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And like, how did like, I guess, are there other ways that sort of the twenty twenty election and Biden's selection of Harris affected? this model how you looked at it yeah so like i said the gender consideration uh is like the biggest thing because we i don't know like the weird thing about doing this starting in 2020 is that felt like the first year that like gender really like mattered is a, is a weird word to use but like it, it really like it was very obvious biden was going to pick a woman right not only because he said like i will but also um like it was kind of taken as like taken for granted. And that doesn't mean that he didn't have perfectly suitable or very strong running mates who could have been men that, you know, if someone's experience is perfect enough, it would have worked out. Um, but I did kind of have to bake in and I, I don't know, I, I had to get really creative to kind of figure out a, a number for that. Um, I don't like, I don't <laughs> You kind of said something maybe like two years ago, three years ago, we were talking and it was like the chances of like a ticket not having like either party, like not having at least it's it's, we're never going to have like a two white men ticket like ever again. Yeah. I think that sounds about right. I think it could like maybe we'll have one, um, but it'd be probably for a pretty good reason. Right. So I, uh, I do think, I don't know. I have weird feelings about the gender and racial consideration, but I do think they matter. Um, also, partisan lean changed of all the states mm-hmm. in 2020, so that changed a lot. That is true. Yeah, um, yeah. I would. I, I. It really seems like actually the gender and race thing is, in some ways, one of the. I think you're right to really. I. It's, I think it's understandable to feel weird about it, but it's also like I think if you look at like presidential candidates themselves, it seems like that they are like directly thinking about that. Certainly more than they did, obviously, in like the 60s. Um, but certainly, I think more than even, you know, in 2008. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard not to kind of like tokenize mm-hmm. it while you're doing that. 
Um, but it is also but, but, I, like I spent a lot of thinking like into how we put out the exact way that. that yeah, works. I mean, but like to be fair, there's even like a total trickle down of like when when speaking of Kamala Harris when she ascended to the vice presidency. Um, you know, the whole talk was like, well, will Gavin Newsom appoint a black woman or like a, a Hispanic of any gender yeah. to fill her seat, yeah. right? Like which California demographic will get, you know, um, their recognition. So that's and, and like, that's, I think is even a conversation today with kind of a controversy between him referring to picking like a, a caretaker senator if Feinstein were to uh, resign and all of that. Um, so yeah. yeah, certainly very relevant, yeah. not in, in other races as well. Um so we've talked about some of these factors that affect, um, that, that go into this model. However, there is no ideological factor. Can you uh, talk about why that is? Yeah. So this is something I've wrestled back and forth with um, because, I mean, I invoked Trump earlier, right? Like there are some pretty clear reasons why some of these people would never run with Trump or Trump would never run with some of these people. Uh, Condoleezza Rice is a very strong running, uh, actually, she's not very, Trump actually does not have very strong running mates. We can talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but she is, of his choices, one of the better options. Uh, she would never run with Donald Trump and Donald Trump would never pick her, right? <laughs> um, like, uh, Chris Christie is uh, not a good choice for Trump at all, but like he's on here. Like he, why is he on here? Why aren't we like punishing him? Because Trump would never pick him, right? So, uh, and then, you know, that's not to say it's all Republicans. It was very clear in 2020 that Biden wasn't going to pick like a socialist. Um, I don't know. So, so first of all, it's not predictive. We're not predicting who Trump's going to pick. We're just telling Trump who he should pick. That's one. Uh, second of all, that it's also like a very subjective thing to add. How would you determine how progressive someone is? Like Ramaswamy is someone we don't have like data for. You can't, there's no vote record for Ramaswamy. What do we, what is his political belief? Um, second, I actually think it still pretty much captures it. So this, the actual function itself kind of like cleanly addresses it by just preferring competitive people from competitive states and higher level, higher level officials. And it's just generally more unlikely that radical people will be elected in more moderate states. Uh, and the typical vice presidential fair, that's your senators, your governors, your cabinet secretaries, they aren't usually in the more extreme wings of the parties compared to House members or activists who the model like punishes. Yeah, and also, I mean, like, it's, I think it would be very hard to uh, quantify, like, Tulsi Gabbard's ideology, considering that she was, you know, a co-chair of Bernie Sanders' 2016 campaign and now uh, seems to want nothing to do with the Democratic Party. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and just, just to clarify, when we say we're telling who Donald Trump should pick, like, you know, this is, like, in the running mate's vein of, like, well... This is not us actively taking a side and necessarily wanting Trump to pick the best choice, if that makes sense. Um, no, we okay. provided this tool to the Democrats. It is fair that we provide it to the Republicans. Right. Um, whether or not they choose to use it is up to them. Um, so one other thing that's different in this year's tool is that there's a little slider at the top regarding uh, the generic ballot for 2024. You just talk a little bit about that because this is new. And I don't even know that I fully understand. Yeah. So Michael Bartoldis, our director of technology, gets like all the credit for throwing this thing together. I think it's like a very fun ad. So the generic ballot plays like a huge role in 
this whole calculation in a bunch of different ways. Um, so as you know, partisan lean just for states and just the generic ballot, like it's going to change over time just based on polling averages as we get closer and closer to election day. Um, in every like in 2020, every few days, I'd go in and just manually update the code whenever the generic ballot shifted. You know, it would be like, oh, Democrats look like they're going to carry the generic ballot by seven points. And then the next day it'd be 6.3. And then the next month it was five. Um, and I still have to do that. Like I still have to go in and change it. Um, but this way, if you have a hunch, because we're more than a year out from election day, that the national environment will actually lean Democrat by three points, uh, you can manually just go in and set that. You don't have to go put all the math together on your own or wait until election day to see if you were right. You can just kind of play around with it live on the site. Um, so, you know, the time we go live right now, the generic ballot favors Republicans by 0.4 points. That's pretty much nothing. It indicates a very competitive national environment. So, uh, but assume it's zero because it's it's almost zero. In a zero environment, that just means all the considerations for every state are just as they are. You know, Iowa is going to be, I think it's like eight points to the right of the country. Nevada is 2.5 points to the right of the country, roughly. Um, but then the generic ballot, let's say you think it's actually now 2.5 points Democratic, it's going to shift that for every state 2.5 to the left. Um, I think, you know, being realistic, I think the generic ballot probably swings a bit more Democratic this cycle, just because Republicans generally struggle to get a national majority, just generally in our modern day. Um, and the Republican House seems primed to do some pretty unsavory things right now, but we'll see. Um Basically, just like pick your own number. We're going to give you the number it is right now, but you're welcome to play around. It's kind of it's kind of interesting to be like, oh, what if this election like goes Democrat by like 10 percent? Like that would be crazy. But then you get to see like, oh, if you think that's going to be the case, you know, Donald Trump should really pick so and so. I don't know. It's kind of fun. Well, it's interesting, right? Because so just as I have it open right now, if you have Donald Trump and you have a D plus 10 environment, it suggests he pick Jim Jordan. Whereas if it's an R plus 10 environment, it suggests he pick Jimmy Ernst. Like, can you kind of flesh out like why it would shift so much? Yeah. So the reason that's happening specifically is because it's throwing Ohio into the competitive states mm. because Ohio has, it's like partisan lean is like Republican by like eight or nine. I don't remember the exact number, but if you add D plus 10, all of a sudden Ohio is probably going to go democratic because it's now minus one, right? So it's now telling Trump he needs to nominate uh, a Republican from Ohio <laughs> uh, who it doesn't stand a chance of like losing that seat because Jim Jordan's in a relatively safe district. Um, where And Kim Reynolds just kind of does pretty well for Trump overall in general because she's not up for election in 2024. Um, I was not really in play, I don't think, in 2024. No. You're welcome to disagree. I do not disagree. <laughs> um but she gets bumped way up if the Democrats start to get like a pretty sizable generic ballot advantage because it means Democrats are much more likely to make Iowa in play. So you're really, when you're moving that thing around, you're just deciding like, are Democrats going to win by so much that some of these like Republican leaning states are now like competitive? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's see. So are, are there any, so is there anything, you know, obviously we are now, a couple months, I guess, is, it, is March the Iowa caucuses? 
Oh. <laughs> God, I don't know when they're doing it. Point is, we, we, we are a considerable, a significant amount of months away from the Iowa caucuses, even further away. January. January. Okay, never mind. So we're a few months closer than I had thought. Point is, um, you know, the voting hasn't started yet. And I'm curious, you know, is there anything that could happen in the midst of either the primary campaign or the general election that would um, change anything about this tool, kind of the values assigned to the, the potential candidates or who it might suggest for somebody? Uh, probably not. So I, I think a thing that we are really good about here at the post writer, Michael, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I think you'd agree is kind of eschewing the, the thunderous ups and downs uh, of the narratives and kind of like the noise. The horse race, as they call it. Yeah, we've towed a pretty steady line when we do stuff like this. It's served us pretty well compared to more responsive models you know, like the Economist or 538 has that kind of use a lot more polling information and react to it a bit stronger. Um, and the generic ballots are pretty, like, it's pretty hard to shift it significantly. Like, get, over a year, it could shift by a lot, but week to week, it's not going to really change. Um, so, like, in terms of things that could be tweaked, uh, so gender and racial diversity calculations, they are a bit crude for the GOP model compared to the democratic model, just because of they're based on the democratic model. And like, there's a lot of data about race and gender and the democratic party. There's not so much with the Republican party. So I could see a situation where those could be adjusted by like a couple, like a little, Mm -hmm. um, but it's probably not going to make a huge difference overall. But those are the, like, those are the things that, as I alluded to earlier, they like kind of keep me up at night. Cause I'm like, did I do that? Like within the point, does it need to be exactly that point? Yeah. But like, if it turns out that Nikki Haley has been like secretly running a drug ring, like that's not going to affect her ranking or, or what is, <laughs> uh, you think I should. So I, I kind of thought about this in 2020. Should I put in like a scandal indicator? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a bad idea. I think I just, I'm trying to remember like who I was thinking it would apply to. Um, I mean, hypothetically, it could apply to anybody. I mean, like Jim yeah. Jordan, maybe um, Chris Christie, maybe. Yeah, um, that's the problem. Is it, it's a little subjective, but like I think if something like really big happened, like Nikki Haley <laughs> was arrest, well, <laughs> Nikki Haley was arrested mm-hmm. and imprisoned and convicted of a crime all within like February. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's probably not a very strong <laughs> running mate anymore. Um, something may have to be tweaked. That's a good. That's a good. Or like her name would just be removed. Yeah. Because like I don't know. I I try to. We're like we're open. If you've got someone you want us, any listeners, if you want us to add someone, I'll do it. Um, if you suggest someone like batshit insane, I won't. Yeah. Like don't suggest that Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, or, like, don't suggest Hillary Clinton should be a running mate for a Republican. Like, I'm not going to put her in there uh, within reason. So maybe that's just how I... It's like no one would ever nominate Nikki Haley if she's in prison. Well, I mean, that could be... It is interesting that I don't believe Lauren Boebert is on this list, which um, I think, if you think about it, it made sense just given how close her 2022 election was. And over the past week, probably makes sense, too. Um given her uh, theater-related struggles recently. Um, yes. 
So, you know, it, it assigns um, a, a score to, to each, you know, you, you pick your uh, top of the ticket, you, you pick your national environment, and then it assigns a score to each of these people, and it, they're ranked in order, highest to lowest. First of all, what's the highest possible score someone can get? It's a, it's about a hundred. Okay, um, it's I, in theory there is a world where it could go like a little above one hundred, but it would have to be like, like Jesus himself running with Jesus himself. But neither of them are eligible because they weren't born. In well, yeah, I know. Well, it depends who you ask. It has to be like George Washington and George Washington. Right. Like I don't know. No, I got yeah, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. So um, it, in theory, it's it's one hundred. Okay. Ish. Sure. Um, yeah. But like, I, what what strikes me as interesting, and I, and I just so would it be possible then for a candidate to get like zero, and if so, how would that like how? Yes. <laughs> so um, I think as it stands right now, I found one zero, just one pure zero. <laughs> um, basically, you have to be a real loser. Uh, so like a Trump, Donald Trump Jr. Mm-hmm. ticket is like a true zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, if you change the generic ballot a little, it's going to go up like a little, but it's pretty much zero. That's because the index like really penalizes you if you have a ticket entirely of people from the same state, which Trump and Don Jr. both are. They're both from Florida. Uh, it also double penalizes you if you have them from the same region. So you're getting whacked twice on that same region. Um, also, Trump Jr. has no experience in anything to boost anyone. <laughs> like He has like actually nothing going for him. They... This would be a racially non-diverse ticket, a gender non-diverse ticket. Trump <laughs> Trump carries only four years of federal government experience. Yes, I realize that's like funny to say because obviously those are a big four years. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, like Trump zero literally brings nothing to that ticket. So yeah, the easiest way to get like zeros is to just double up a ticket on people from the same state. Um, having zero experience also means that you're failing uh, the minimum viable office metric, which is like another kicker the it like really penalizes you um and we can talk about that shortly uh if you don't meet like a certain minimum threshold for the vice presidential office um yeah like honestly trump trump zero and uh ramaswamy both do pretty poorly as running mates for those reasons carrie lake does as well well so so what is that that minimal viable what happened because really famously there are really no qualifications to be vice president outside of having to be qualified to also be president yeah so uh basically there's there's a nerf cooked into the formula that's called the minimal viable office adjuster uh this is actually one of the things that we did improve a little from uh based on the election in the 2020 election uh, essentially, a potential Veep has to meet a pretty low bar. They need to have been a senator, cabinet member, a, like a general, uh, governor, or they need at least six years in the House of Representatives. Um, since 1968, which is our base year, uh, only one out of 20 non-incumbent vice presidential nominees has failed to meet this. And that is Geraldine Ferraro in 1984, an election that famously went very poorly for uh, the ticket she was on. Um, so the function like severely punishes you if you don't meet this metric. Um, it's, it loosely, it gives you like a boost based on experience, but loosely it's saying like only one out of 20 tickets has ever done this. So we're going to just take your number one by 20. It adds a lot more on the back end with experience, but 
that's kind of what happens. Um, you you can get back up. Like there are ways to boost your score score a bit more up from that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Like remember running. Like if there was one constant in like who people would pick running mates and who like the type of people we'd pick, it's like you're almost always picking a senator, a governor, or a cabinet member, and that's for a reason. Yeah, like it's <laughs> just more often than not like uh, a smart thing to do um the inverse is where i think it's kind of interesting where you're picking a nominee with zero experience because you can still get some pretty strong tickets that way yes i i would tend to agree um i think that's all the questions i got for the vice presidential power index uh we encourage you all to take a look at it and write us in we actually have gotten you know it's kind of a theme where we really beg for feedback we have gotten some feedback on this and people seem to be into it so uh positive yes positive (laughs) feedback yeah so we we encourage you to uh take a look and and let us know what you think and we will take a commercial break if you're a fan of the post writers articles podcasts and projects be sure to sign up for our newsletter. So once a week digest of everything we've worked on, what the site is up to, and other things we'd recommend each Monday. We don't believe in subjecting you to daily annoying emails, but we do believe in keeping our most passionate and loyal supporters in the loop on what we've been up to. We know how inconvenient and annoying it is to have your inbox flooded with constant reminders and useless material. That's why we run a curated weekly newsletter that gives you a once a week scoop. New subscribers help us know how many people are reading and listening to our work. And Thanks for taking the reins, Mr. Lebedo. So go to thepostwriter.com slash newsletter <laughs> to sign up now. <laughs> keep us going from here. Uh, so let's apply the quantitative baseline of the power index uh, to our own gut instincts and analysis. Not not quite a Running Mates episode, but like a, a Running Mates preview. <laughs> um, so let's, I don't know. We haven't really, we've talked a lot about the GOP uh primary certainly in our uh, 2024 GOP draft uh, but we haven't really talked about running mates for the primary at all should we talk about Trump um yeah why not <laughs> uh, let, let, let's let's start with him so according to the power index Joni Ernst is currently the best possible running mate for the former president um I don't know whose stock are you watching. Is that does that make sense to you? I mean, it, it does. I think obviously, if it considers Iowa was like a very important state, which again, maybe not as important as it used to be. Um, you know, she is a senator in a state where, if she were to become vice president, she would be replaced. Her replacement would be named by a Republican governor, and of course, it's a, become a very Republican state either way. I do think, yeah. though. Um, I would actually go with her fellow Iowan. If I had to pick like one person whose stock is high, I'd go with fellow Iowan governor, or excuse me, I can't talk today. The governor of Iowa and a fellow Iowan, naturally, Kim Reynolds. <laughs> I just broke the record for saying fellow Iowan in like a 30 second span. I, I'm sure Marco Rubio has. It. Yeah, right. Um, and, and Ron DeSantis will what was the phrase he kept using? Oh, nation in decline at the debate. He'll he'll he'll, oh, he'll break yeah. that record soon. Um, but Kim Reynolds, I think she's kind of established herself as like a little bit of a power broker, just because obviously Iowa is the first primary slash caucus. I don't believe she's officially endorsed any primary candidate yet, but she's certainly appeared at a lot of these Republican events with many different candidates. Um, and I think it's really it, it's really putting herself 
herself in a position of influence um, and she could end up being rewarded by some, by somebody specifically Donald Trump if they kind of, if, if especially if Trump is able to kind of walk through Iowa Iowa without much of a problem especially if he gets maybe a late endorsement from her I could see that as kind of a reward and obviously it ticks off the uh, um, you know the to again it sounds a little to- tokenizing me but it ticks off the female box which I mean last election Trump was literally saying white suburban females please vote for me. Like he was just yelling his campaign strategy out loud at the debate podium. So. Yeah. I, I think I'd be a little surprised if Trump doesn't pick a woman. Mm -hmm. And like, I, we're not tokenizing women, but Trump might be. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. I, so I, I agree. I think Kim Reynolds is a good pick. I think her stock should be on the rise, especially if the field shifts, if the generic ballot does kind of move more democratic leaning, um, I think she doesn't offer. So this is like the weird thing. And I think this is why a lot of Trump's scores are just generally pretty low quantitatively is like, he has a big problem with federal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't have a lot of federal experience. And I think for a VP, I mean, you look at kind of people who ran without a lot of federal experience, like Barack Obama, for example, uh, or Bill Clinton is they picked kind of running mates who were kind of like staid senators. Um, and I do think Trump would benefit from someone like that in a general election. Like, I don't know that Kim Reynolds has a lot of name recognition outside of Iowa mm-hmm. or outside of DC, you know, the people who read Politico. Um, I could see someone like, like Joni Ernst or Nikki Haley having a bit more of that. Um, I don't, I actually think Trump has like kind of bad picks. Like I think any ticket you pick is going to be like kind of a problem. Yeah. It's, it's such a, um, because it's just so hard to tell who he's going to like and who's going to like him. I think in a lot of ways. Um, and I, so much is up in the air, obviously with, you know, upcoming trials and indictments and things like that. We just don't really know what Donald Trump is going to like his, his, his life is going to look like in like a couple months. Right. <laughs> and um, it's just, it's so like, it, it's hard for me to see. I, a relatively uncontroversial person like Joni Ernst or Nikki Haley accepting like, like Donald Trump, think about it this way. Donald Trump is probably the only person of like the listed top of the ticket candidates who you could imagine somebody turning him down, I think is part of the problem, right? I think Ramaswamy could have. Oh, some. yeah, that's a good point. People turn him down. I think Chris Christie would have some people turn him down for the opposite. Right. But, but my point is like, I, I, I have like, it wouldn't shock me if like Joni Ernst or Nikki Haley were like relatively uncontroversial. We're like, yeah, I, I don't think I want to be Donald Trump's vice president. Right. Um, yeah. Whereas I don't think you have that problem with like, you know, Ron DeSantis or Doug Burgum or whoever else. I, I mean, I also kind of think people see Trump as the most likely nominee to lose. Yes. <laughs> or like <laughs> roughly. So maybe they don't want to go on a ticket. That's, I mean, like he had a lot of trouble, like finding a running mate in 2016. Right. right? Like Mike Pence just kind of. And he wanted to change his mind like a day out, after. Like, too. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> a genuine question in my mind too, because apparently he want like afterwards he was like, actually, can I pick New Gingrich instead? Like, Ugh. I almost wonder if that ticket like loses. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, like, I can't say I would be shocked. Um, that that whole Veep Six was so weird too, because I don't know if you remember, because wasn't it he was supposed to have a big announcement event the day there was a terrorist attack in France? Yeah, and then. There was lots of hemming and hawing about whether or not he'd delay it or not. And he just ended up tweeting it out. Um, I remember because I was yeah, in France right. while that all happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mike has an alibi. Right, I do. Um, but I, it's, just, it's just a bizarre turn of events. Anyway. It could have been Chris Christie. <laughs> it could have been. Um, yeah. No, I, I think that's a... A valid concern is I do think a lot. There are people who I think are like maybe gunning for it's not the right word. Like I think actually at least Stefanik gets a little too much press on that subject. Yeah. Um, but well, I mean, depending yeah. on how things break, she can also be Speaker of the House in a couple of weeks. So. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, I, I think Trump's going to have a running mate problem, kind of no matter what. Yeah. And he's going to overshadow uh, his running mate no matter what anyway. Yeah, I mean, you want to cards on the table? Who do you think the running mate will be if Trump is the nominee? So it's funny because I think when we were on um, Mark Lumpy's podcast, he also ran. So he asked us this more or less. And yeah. I think both of us, certainly myself, I said, well, I'd, I'll be very surprised if it isn't Tim Scott or Nikki Haley. Um, yeah. I don't think it'll be Nikki Haley <laughs> um, because I think she's just said some things that I. I just don't think Trump will, will take very kindly to. And unlike Joe Biden, he's, I think, not willing to be like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'll just pick whoever's best, even no matter how many mean things Kamala Harris said about Joe Biden. Um, and Tim Scott, like, there seems like there's some, like, genuine concern among, like, the Republican donor base about his marital status. <laughs> and um, I could see that sort of... Um, freaking out the trump campaign a little bit also he just hasn't run as effective a campaign as a lot of people think he was going to i think um so i who? yes Lars. Well, who did i say on that podcast i thought you said the same thing i could be wrong though uh, for some reason i think i said christy no oh but yeah I, I may have agreed and that's not a bad choice i do think if i had to pick today i, I still think i'd say kim reynolds Kim Reynolds is a good a good pick. Like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm just sort of, to get a little prognosticating, mm -hmm. I kind of think the generic ballot will be like D plus four-ish, mm. in which case Kim Reynolds is like his best pick. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I'd go, I kind of think it'll be Christy Nome, though. I think that Trump will not reach out to us. He won't look at our site. Yeah. And he won't pick the best. And, she, and she's like a pretty unambiguous Trump loyalist too, right? Like Reynolds yeah, is yeah. straddled, you know, the, the the establishment of the party a little bit. Like I said, I don't believe she's endorsed anybody yet. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, okay, let's assume a world where Trump is not the nominee. Who, uh, I don't know, any interesting stories you're watching over there? Well, I, I think, honestly, if it's not Nikki Haley, then I think Nikki Haley actually, uh, I say that now, she's, she also just kind of did go after Republicans themselves at the debate. 
Darn, this is so hard. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe he still is Kim Reynolds in that case. <laughs> Uh, Kim Reynolds is a strong Kim Reynolds. Please reach out to yes, us. Yes, yeah. Um, no, I, I, I'd say Kim Reynolds or Nikki Haley. Honestly, I, I think there's some enthusiasm for Haley among certain, like the establishment. I would say, and to the extent that any of these people are the establishment, I could see them going for Nikki Haley. Um, yeah, I don't really see who else it would be. Like they're not going to pick Carrie Lake, right? Um, I don't see Christy Nome getting picked by like a non-Trump. Maybe Ramaswamy picks her, but like I don't even see like DeSantis. I could see DeSantis. Yeah, picking. yeah. Mega governors united. That makes sense. I I, I don't. Know. I I would still say Kim Reynolds or Nikki Haley. Yeah, I think if it's like Tim Scott, I could see I could see another senator getting picked. If that, I don't. I think he's just kind of like I think he likes his Senate buddies. Like I, I could see like a Scott Ernst ticket happening. Um, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't. Know. Someone who I think is like a very, someone who I think is like a strong pick, and we, we also sort of talked about this on Lemke's podcast. Um, like Joe Lombardo, Glenn Youngkin, that kind of like crowd of governors. I think if like Nikki Haley's the nominee, I think they're both pretty good. Yeah, I, I actually did have Glenn Young written down. I just forgot to say, yeah, that I think that makes a lot of sense because talk about clamoring. Like there are people begging Glenn Youngkin to jump in the race. Yeah, yeah. See, so, yeah, I, I do think that makes a lot of sense, and it's not like he can run for governor of Virginia in twenty twenty five anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Any uh, any dark horses you think from Trump or from the field? Anyone you think could just like come out of nowhere and be the running mate? I guess Glenn Youngkin is one of them. Um, <laughs> oh, Glenn, so he is one of them. I you know um, maybe not Carrie Lake. She'll probably run for Senate, right? Um, Good news for Blake Matt. Ah, uh, you know I, I could act bad news. Apparently, if the Daily Beast reporting is accurate. Um, yeah. Tom Cotton, actually, I would say he's somebody who has decided not to run. Um, and I wouldn't be a hundred percent shocked if, if he gets the nod as, as like, you know, sort of like the quote unquote young and exciting voice of his generation <laughs> of conservatives. I could certainly see that happening. And also I remember there was a, a piece written, I forget who wrote it. I forget where it was written a couple like months ago that said Byron Donalds actually could be a dark horse. Um, Congressman bad, from Florida, bad, bad. One, yeah, according to the Power Index, uh, Congressman from Florida, one of the few Black Republicans in Congress, and uh, he. Most people will remember him as the. Um, I don't know if decoy is the right word, but basically as as somebody who who was put up for the speakership um, during the whole, uh, you know, that whole fiasco by the the you know the the Freedom Caucus. Um, basically, and then uh, they all decided they have kind of abandoned him. But anyway, um, I can see that happening. Yeah, um, I don't know. In general, Veep stakes. Are you excited? Are you looking forward to it? Yeah, I think so. Partly just because this primary has been so boring, right? <laughs> like it, 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 it's, it's. I think in a lot of ways, one of the only things that still feels um, up in the air. Like it, it's. Were, it, it seems pretty likely that Biden and Trump will be the major party nominees. Um, 
we may have a piece coming out soon about why Biden will probably and probably should not get rid of Kamala Harris. So that really just, you know, of, of the four candidates, that really only leaves one that, that, that feels unknown. So, yes, I suppose I am excited. I also think Republicans are a little less predictable than yes, Biden. Yeah. <laughs> like this could go a number of very strange ways. Whereas I think it's pretty clear Biden had it down to like a very small group. Yes. Um, you think anyone's going to, so do you think anyone would announce a running mate before like there's a nominee, like a presumptive nominee? I could see it happening. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, Republicans are weird. Like yeah. That. Ted Cruz famously did it in 2016. I think he's really the only person to ever do it that way. He announced Carly Fiorina. As his running mate. Um, I could definitely see it, especially if things get really hairy for Trump in regards to his various legal problems. Like, I and, and the party maybe finds itself in a bit of a crisis and they're kind of like staring down a thing where Trump has a big lead in delegates, but they also are trying to like cobble together somebody who isn't going to be on trial. Like, I could see, you know, yeah. a Ramaswamy or a DeSantis or whoever kind of preemptively announce a running mate say this is the ticket i want to give you you shall coalesce behind me and who knows maybe it would be something like maybe if we end up with you know a, a sort of consolidated field you get maybe like the if trump is in first place maybe like the second and third place candidates um one of them decides to sacrifice their ego and they kind of team up for uh on a ticket um so yes i, I think it's certainly more likely than it has been, uh, certainly more likely than it was in 2020, and as likely as it has been since 2016, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I just think Republican candidates are weird, mm-hmm. and they do weird, weird stuff like that. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't really know who it'd be. Like Ron DeSantis kind of feels like the Ted Cruz of this. Right. Yeah. No, it'd, be, it'd definitely be a, like I could see Ramaswamy doing it. Um, yeah. Like, like, could, couldn't you see, and granted, she's probably going to run for Senate, but couldn't you see, like, Rama, like Trump is in all this trouble. It seems like he might go to jail or whatever again. I I'm, I don't know if this is, like, a likely scenario, but let's just say, for argument's sake. Um, like, all that's happening, Ramaswamy is like, I'll give you, like, the MAGA ticket. It's me and Carrie Lake, right? Like, <laughs> oh like, like couldn't you see that happening? Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's exciting and we will be here, uh, to keep you, keep you posted all along the way, but we will end with that. Thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, it remains to be seen if we will return in late 2024 for an extra special running mates postscript on the 2024 vice presidential picks. I, I kind of want to do one. Yeah. Why wouldn't we? Like, right. Why wouldn't Yeah. Um, but this this episode, at least, was our chance to get the ball rolling for this cycle on our particular expertise, the vice presidency. Be sure to reach out to us on Twitter, X, <laughs> uh, where you can find and follow us at The Post Writer. Uh, be sure to email us at our email address, contact at thepostwriter.com. We love hearing from you. Come chat with us. Tell us, uh, tell us who you think Trump's running mates should be. Tell us who you think um, would be like your running mate. That's what I really want to know, America. Um, or suggest some other things. As if they were about. running for president, that's what you want to know? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us who they want. Like, who is your best friend? We've played fantasy cabinet before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, send us your whole fantasy cabinet while you're at it. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, uh, we're a Postwriter podcast brought to you by thepostwriter.com. You can check out the stuff we work on, the things we've written, our other podcasts, and more over there. Uh, and thank you, as always, Mike, for joining and for interviewing me. Of course. It was a, it was a pleasure. And also with you.